0: Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father, and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can be here, Father. Thank you that you are good, Lord. Thank you that you are so faithful, Lord. And even in this time of relationships, Lord, where we many times long for the, for restoration, Father, we long for fulfillment, Lord, we long for godly marriages, relationships, Lord, partners, Lord, may the thing that we long for most be you. May the thing that we prioritize first be you, Lord, relationship with you to seek you first, Lord, not for what you can do, but for who you are. I thank you that we know, Lord, that it's when we seek you for who you are, Lord, that you do what you do because you do what you do because you are who you are, Lord. If you put the attributes of God together, you get a loving Father that sends his Son to save a sinful race. A God that loves to heal, redeem, restore. Pouring out your love, Lord, and those who don't deserve it, Lord. That's us. And even in this area of relationships, Lord, that you give us so much grace for, Father. Even it's the thing, Lord, that we mostly place above you. The tendency, Lord, to drift away from you, Lord, and prioritize our relationships above you. Yet you come, Lord, and you give grace. And you restore, Lord, and you call us back, and you heal us again, Lord, and you clean us up again, Lord, and you come after us again, Lord. And tonight, Lord, may that give hope. For each and every person sitting here, Lord. Knowing, Lord, that Christian relationships, Lord, is most certainly not easy. Selfless service, Lord, and laying down ourselves for others. Enabled, Lord, by your spirit. Looking to your example, following you in obedience. But it's definitely worth it, Lord. And thank you, Father, for the privilege of having a relationship with you primarily, Lord. Second, with those around us. Thank you for romantic relationships, Lord. And thank you for the blueprint that you've given us to do it well. We don't need to struggle, Lord. May you give us grace, Lord. May you lead us in humility to receive your word, Father. And to obey your word. Not to figure it out ourselves, Lord. Not to try and puzzle it out. But to simply seek you, Father. And to hear from you and to obey your word. Because you are a loving Father desiring good things for your children in jesus name amen so after the service we're also going to have a little bit of a wrestle match the left hand side against the right hand side so you guys just better prepare a little bit because we outnumbered and i'm obviously also going with the left hand side just to obviously otherwise to warm up a little bit when we go out in the cold it's for safety reasons So guys, just before we dive into the the sermon tonight, the last couple of weeks, we shared a little bit about the importance of fellowship, uh, the reason for the church. You know, God didn't think to himself, well, I saved them now, I might as well give them something to do on a Sunday. let, Let them gather together and sing songs, like we saw the importance of it, you know, it is there for our growth and for our endurance. There is no growth, there is no endurance without the body of Christ. The whole of the Christian life is the school to consider others. More than we do ourselves to love others like we love ourselves and to pour ourselves out in the lives of others and when we intentionally think about those around us we grow and we endure the endurance of each and every person sitting in this hall is dependent upon the people sitting next to them they are called to encourage them to love and good works and you when you look at the people around you you are called to encourage them to love and good works And in light of the last two weeks, I just want to share something quickly in light of relationships before we dive into our sermon tonight. It's also the importance of relationships in community. Relationships in fellowship with other believers. You see, the thing is, we'll only get to know God ourselves and our spouses while in community. There is no knowing God, ourselves, or even the partner that we're with, without community. And the reason for that is that... Different people look at stuff in a different way and they bring different aspects out of people. They look at God in a certain way. God being holy, you know, transcendent, omniscient, this all-powerful being with so many aspects. And me, I'm put together in a certain way and I think about God in a certain way and I focus on God in a certain way and there's immediately certain aspects of God's character that stands out for me first and most. And the same is true for different people. And when we come together in a community, we learn to know God better. We learn to know God better. And also with the tendency that when we are alone to also get deceived, that is, that is also a bit problematic. You know, like uh, the, the one right of desiring God would say, it's me, myself, and lies. When you isolate yourself, you'll eventually end up there with yourself and a bunch of lies because you are deceived because god didn't create us to do life in isolation but the same is also true for yourself i don't know if you knew that the secular world teaches us that if you want to discover yourself you kind of have to do that kung fu panda type of vibe and go and sit somewhere on a rock and ask yourself who am i who am i have you seen that and strange things happen like connect she went to america and now she thinks she's an american i don't know if you heard her speaking Just joking, Kunet. it was beautiful. We had some French, maybe I should try some Irish, you know, just to, to keep things a little bit you know, spicy tonight. Isn't <laughs> But while you did see that the one thing that you cannot say with an accent is the word choppy. That is Afrikaans, puppy. There is no accent, you can try to say it, you won't be able to, or it's, it, that is South African. So, Conet, thank you for keeping it a little bit South African there. We love you. We'll bring out your to the braai. But people think that, you know, you can go somewhere by yourself or on your own, and you're going to go on this journey of self-discovery in isolation from other people. It's not how it works. It doesn't work that way. In community, we also discover who we are as we learn to know who God is. Because the more we understand who God is, the better we know who we are. Created in the image of God. And yes, broken image of God because of sin, but God comes and restores and redeems it all the more as we follow him, as we get to know him better. Like the scripture in Colossians 3.10 says, put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. As we get to know God better, we also know ourselves better. And the new man, restored in the image of God, comes to the forefront as well. And many times people will bring stuff out of you that you didn't know was in there. But nonetheless, that's you. We have to deal with that and we have to face that sometimes. But also beautiful things, passionate things that's in our hearts that we never knew of. Unless we engage in community, unless we see them through the eyes of other people as well. But the same is also true for your marriage or your spouse or your relationship partner. You'll only get to know them well and fully in community. You'll only get to know them well. And it's important to, to spend regular time alone and to often be alone and to often be together. But that's not where you learn all of who they are. That you'll only see in community. Why? Because as we are called to stir one another to love and good works, as we are called to bring certain things out of one another, there are certain things people can bring out of me that other people can't. And the same is true for my wife. If you really want to get to know your wife, let her go out with her friends, and you hide in the bushes. You'll see some interesting things. Maybe reconsider, <laughs> you know, the, the decision that you made. But you'll only get to know them there. Don't meet and, you know, go into a relationship in isolation. We don't know who a person is in light of community, in light of doing life with other people. You might be a little bit surprised. But that is how it works. You know, see, Lewis, he, he writes about this story. It, you can call it his small group if you want to. There were four friends that used to write together. And eventually one of the friends dies. And in the midst of this sad and tragic story, C's Lewis says that at least he thought to himself that one of the benefits at least, you know, although it's tragic, although it's not nice and pleasant, at least one of the benefits is now he has more of the other two friends for himself. He said and he thought that until they spent time together and he realized that he has less of them because the other person could bring stuff out of them that he cannot and they cannot. And so he has more time with them but less of them because this person was there used to bring out certain aspects of their character and of their being that he simply couldn't and they simply couldn't. And the same is true for community. To do life in community we get to know one another best. Amen. That was the first sermon. So now to quickly dive into the second one. Our title for tonight: "In the Right Relation." In the right relation, and in Afrikaans "in die regte verhouding," not meaning in the right relationship, but is your relationships with other people in the right relation to your relationship with God? That is the question. You see, because when our relationships are not in right relation to God, then they break down and they become something that they are not supposed to be. And instead of the Christian view of relationships, people call to give themselves to someone else. If our relationship with God breaks down, then we look at relationships not as something that I give myself to, but something that I should receive now. And the whole view gets changed around. And we even start to follow God or to serve God with that mentality. Not because of who he is, but because of what he can give. And all of a sudden the relationship breaks down and I begin to serve God. Not because of who he is, but I want him to actually fix my relationship. And then the whole relationship gets broken down. And we see it in a lot of relationships. Many times in the relationship with our kids as well. I wonder how many parents, you know, started actually to pray intensely when they got kids. Because now you're worried about those little guys, eh? Instead of because I serve God and He has called me to pray always, I now pray for my kids as well. That's in the right relation. Or not because I want God to fix my marriage, I'm serving Him, but I actually am intentional in my marriage because I'm serving God. That's the right relation. That's how it should look and we should examine our hearts in light of that because like I said the the greatest area where Christians face temptation to put something above God is the area of relationships. When that breaks down, we tend to serve God with an idolatrous heart for what he can give instead of who he is and the good news tonight is that that is okay if you acknowledge that because it will happen regularly. And all of us, to a certain extent, have to admit that even in our initial repentance, when we, when we turn to God primarily, it wasn't, self, it wasn't a selfless action about us just coming to God. There was inevitably an area of selfishness, even in our repentance when we come to God. Longing for Him to come and fix and change and heal and deliver certain things in our lives. And the grace of god is so sufficient that even in that god accepts us even in that god heals restores redeems while he comes and changes our hearts to a place where we actually want to follow him because of who he is not just what he can give amen and to test ourselves to see where our hearts are at tonight and when we discover that they are not in the right place to bring them before god and say lord we acknowledge that and we ask you to come and change it but to know where our hearts is, we need to ask ourselves a couple of questions before we dive into the passage of scripture for tonight. The first question is how is your relationship at this moment? If you are single, yeah, how is your longing for a relationship going at the moment? Who is the furlanga? Seker type of. But how is your relationship currently? Relationship in general with people, if you're a single sitting here tonight. I'm going to give her some time. Really think about it. How is your relationship going? Second question. How is your relationship with God at the moment? How is your relationship with God? Does it seem distant, close? Relationship good, average, going forward? Not in a good space? And remember your relationship with God can be a lot of things except not where you want it to be. Because we are the limiting factor. So, our relationship with God is exactly where we want it to be. It can be nowhere else. Because if we want it to be flourishing, we simply draw near to God and we follow Him. Because He's already made a way, He's all in. We are the limiting factor. But, how is your relationship with God at this moment? Third question. What did you use to define that just now? When I asked you, how is your relationship going, to what did you look, what did you think about? How do you define that? Because it's quite a relative question, and many people will go to many different areas, but what did you think about first? When I asked you, how is your relationship? How do you define that with the people around you? You see in the wrong way to define it and the same so with our relationship with god how did you define that you see because if our relationships are not in relation to god if god is not first and foremost and if we are not following following him first and above everything else out of a healthy relationship then we tend to look at our relationship and define it in a very selfish way And we tend to do the following, we look at our relationships and say, okay, it's not too inconvenient for me at the moment, so it must be going well. And a lot of people, you know, just immediately go to friction. You know, we're not really fighting at the moment, so there's kind of peace in our relationship, so it must mean that it's going well. Well, there's a lot of people I don't fight with and I don't even know them. So that can be a good indicator of a healthy relationship. In fact healthy friction is sometimes good a good thing to have that healthy friction so we can't simply say you know at this moment it's not too uncomfortable for me or maybe my husband or my wife you know they really do stuff that pleases me at the moment and therefore i conclude that our relationships in a great space and many times when we think about our relationship with god we view it in light of circumstances Well, it's going well with me in general therefore my relationship with god must be going well because he's pleased with me and that's also not how it works you know financially it's not going that tough emotionally i'm doing well socially no it's going well so my relationship with god must be going well and many times when that starts to crumble then people say no my relationship with god is not in a great place because my circumstances is actually influencing me not god primarily So whenever we don't have the relationship with god that we should have is that in a healthy place or if it's not there at all or if we're serving god for the wrong reasons then we will view our relationships and our health of our relationships in light of our own selfishness and instead of looking to ourselves as someone that gives ourselves to someone else we'll constantly look at what we're receiving at the moment you see how you should define whether your relationship is in a healthy place or not, is in light of what God calls relationships to be. And what God calls a relationship to be is two people intentionally and willingly out of their relationship with God, giving themselves to someone else. You see, if I want to see if my relationship with my wife is going well, then I look at my own heart and I ask myself the question, how willing am I to constantly lay my life down for my wife? And if the answer is that I want to do that regularly, then I can say, okay, our relationship is in a good place. And she also wants to do the same for me. And if I want to view my relationship with God, and I want to ask if it's in a healthy place, I ask myself, okay, how willing am I to obey God, whatever He says? are you doing in the area of obedience? Is there something that God has been saying again and again and again, and we're just not obeying, we're just not following, we're just not getting there? Because then the relationship is not good. Not about what we can get from God or get from our partner, but how is our willingness to lay down our lives and serve them faithfully. Because that is what God calls a healthy relationship. That is how he wants us to draw near to one another. The you know, the weekend we were in Wellington for an encounter three that we did there. And the one lady says that many times we feel far from God... And we struggle to connect to God. And it feels like we're saying, Lord, we want to draw close. And Lord, we are praying. And Lord, we are drawing near. But there's a different area of our life where God is actually holding out his hand. But we don't want to deal with that area. And it seems like we want to follow God, but not on his terms. Not in terms of obedience. We don't want to do it that way. We would rather deal with the things we want to deal with or talk about the things we want to talk about. Let's rather speak about my wife's part in the relationship. Lord, we'll get to mine later. Come deal We many times think that way. But it's not how it works. And I'm going to read to us through this passage of Scripture in Ephesians 5, and then we're going to just focus on one verse tonight. And it gives us here the definition of how a relationship should look in relation to God. It flows out of that. And it says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is where it starts. That is the healthy relationship. Out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. And how does that mutual submission look like? It looks like this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Beautiful passage of scripture, a very confronting passage of scripture. Amen? I mean, if you're sitting here tonight and you think, oh, is that, is that all? Is that all it takes? Then you don't, definitely don't understand it as you should. It's quite a call. But what God calls us to do, he enables us through his spirit to do. We are able, if we follow Christ first, to do what he calls us to do in relationship. And the scripture speaks about that. Out of reverence for Christ, when Christ is our primary focus, when we focus on him first, when we follow him first, when our relationship is firstly towards him, then out of reverence for Christ, we obey him. Looking to his example as he enables us. And I just want to focus on this one scripture tonight. Verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that word reverence in the Greek is phobos. It's where we get the word phobia from. It's fear. Actually better translated. Out of the fear of the Lord submit to one another. Out of reverential fear for God submit to another. To one another because you know who god is because you know what he did for you because you know the example that he set, and because that he is to you everything that you will need he will fulfill every need and he will fill everything in you so that you can give yourself fully to someone else without them necessarily giving themselves back you see that is the christian view of relationship for every single person here that got married on your marriage day Man, you didn't get a wife. You gave yourself to a wife. Woman, on your marriage night, you didn't get a husband. You gave yourself to a husband. That is the difference. And when we make our vows, we are saying, Lord, that we will be what we said we're going to be, even if they are not. Why? Because Christ is who He says He's going to be. He's still sufficient. You see, in the moment we fall into that kind of relationship where I say that I will, if she does, and the fault lies not with her, but with my relationship with God. Because out of reverence for Christ, I do what God calls me to do. So firstly, to start with the singles, those not yet married, how does this look like? For those who are single and not yet in a relationship, this looks like you following Christ and serving his body, his bride. Laying down your life for his church. That is where you learn this. That is where you equip yourself. And we have to get this if we do not learn submission in relation to a perfect God, we will struggle in relation to a fallen spouse. If you cannot lay yourself down in selfless service to a perfect God who laid down his life for you, you will not be able to do it in relation to a fallen spouse. Amen? you see and when your wife comes or when your husband comes then it's not something new that you have to learn it's just simply a different area where you're still busy serving god different area where you're still busy laying down yourself and i know it doesn't sound romantic you know the world wants to teach us now that when that boy or girl comes you're saying oh for them i lay down myself for them i'll die to self now you're already supposed to be dead to self was for jesus and in light of that you just serve your husband or your wife you see as as romantic as it sounds to say you know that i'm laying my life down for robin primarily for her and because i love her so much as romantic as that sounds it is not sustainable it is primarily for christ don't get me wrong i love robin to bits man i want to lay my life down for and i want to serve her with everything in me and i want to encourage and i want to see her do well i do but i want to obey god first and foremost that is what i want to do first and foremost and that's also the best thing that i can do for my wife is love god more love god more and also, for those who are single, this means that you are actively waiting upon God, and out of reverence for Christ, you are waiting for also the right person at the right place. You know? Some people look for Christians in interesting places, if you know what I mean. I'm not going to find them there. <laughs> Come on. Let's be serious tonight. I'm not going to find them there. And also the primary focus, if you really want to know where your heart is in relation to Christ, if you are single sitting here tonight, ask yourself this question. Are you constantly praying for God to provide you with the right right spouse? Or are you constantly praying for God to make you the right spouse? Because there's a difference. You see, the heart that is focused on Jesus and in perfect submission to him is constantly asking, Lord, make me what you want me to be. Lord, give me what I want to have. There's a difference. I mean, are you focus on being the right person, or are you actively seeking the right person? Because there's a difference. God will provide. He knows your needs. He knows what you're looking for. But allow Him to mold and to shape you. And also, when you start to date, what this again means is that you keep marriage stuff for marriage. I mean. You see, when you engage in sexual activities outside of marriage, what you are saying is that I want what you have, but I'm not willing to give myself to you. I want all that you have, but I'm not going to make the commitment to get married. I'm not going to give myself back. I'm not going to make that commitment. Are you with me? That is what reverence for Christ looked like as a single person, keeping marriage stuff for marriage. Because when we commit, I'm committing fully. I'm giving myself fully. No way out. I'm not going to see if this is going to work. I'm not going to test first. And I've actually seen well-meaning parents actually saying that to their kids. No, just live, live together for a while. See if it's going to work. That's not Christian view of relationship. As we are going to make this work. Because out of reverence for Christ, we lay down our lives for one another. There is no backing out otherwise we test and see let's see if this is beneficial to me again the opposite of what a christian relationship is supposed to be it's not what god calls us to wants us to look differently at life and also you don't have to wait until you have all the money in the world three houses just for in case (laughs) you don't have to wait until that you can get married god will provide if you prioritize God, He will prioritize you. Do things a godly way. Secular studies actually shown from the Wall Street Journal a while back that society tells us that it's better to have multiple relationships with different people. Obviously, then you know people better for some other reason. You know, you taste it it's like test driving cars if I can use that bad analogy. But then you know what you're looking for and you know what you want. And then also if you get married a little bit later, you're more stable, then then they say it will seem to work. But studies, and actually secular studies, it wasn't Christian studies, show the exact opposite. Those who don't have many relationships, and those who get married earlier, stay together longer. And those who don't move in together before they get married. And then they'll say the reason for this phenomenon is unknown. we're like because god said so we know we know why it's unknown because god said so. prioritize the things god is not wanting to keep us away from certain things like we said in encounter three as well many times the enemy wants to come and sell us the lie that god is restricting us he's keeping away from us good things but that is not the case and it's like us with our kids when we restrict them when i you know, strap them into a car chair. It's not because I don't love them. And I don't want them to experience the breeze of tumbling out the car. No. <laughs> it's not why I do that. It's because I love them. That's why I restrict them. When we put them in play pens, why? So that they can't get to the things that they don't want to, that's going to hurt them. That they're going to pull down, that's going to burn them. Restriction. The same way God's law is like offense, but it's a fence of love. Keeping you away from the things that's going to hurt you it will turn out bad but keep the things for marriage in marriage and i always like to use the illustration of a fire a fire in a in a area it's beautiful yes some of the choppy connect we're in a fireplace it's beautiful it's majestic it keeps us warm but if you make the same fire on your couch it's not that beautiful anymore same thing out of place and it brings destruction and the same thing is true for sex outside of marriage when we live together do things God's way I mean and for us sitting here as people in relationships people that are engaged about to get engaged you know who knows Or people that are already married how do we know if this is our heart If our heart is still in right relationship, how do we know if we are still doing our relationships out of reverence for Christ? And the one question that we can ask ourselves is, here we need to be honest with ourselves. This is difficult because we in church, we tend to give the Sunday school answer, amen? But if you're really honest with yourselves at this moment, if God comes to you right now and he stands before you and he says, okay, I'm going to ask you two questions and whatever one you pick, I'll do that for you. And the one is for you to be the perfect spouse, and the other one is for you to have the perfect spouse. Which one will you choose? Come on. Let's be honest. Which one will you choose? To be the perfect spouse or to have the perfect spouse? Difficult question. It's easier for me because I already have the perfect spouse. So it's a bit unfair for me, but for you normal folk, what would you choose? And we can answer the question, but you know, we get certain times in our relationships when we reflect on some of the issues that we have or some of the friction that we're experiencing. And in this talks to yourself, who should, who should do the thing just a little bit different? Or who should just improve a little? Or if they could just do this a little Who's that person constantly? Is it you or your spouse? When you pray to God, Lord, if they just would this, if you could just tell them to stop that. Come on, let's be honest with ourselves here. You see, because if you predominantly think that you are actually a better spouse than your spouse, then your answer would be for God to give you a better spouse, not to make you a better one, because you think the problem lies with them and not with you. And when we think that way, we are out of relation. We're not primarily focusing on what God calls us to be. And many times, you know, marriage prep and enrichment can actually cause that. If you head into marriage prep and enrichment with an unhealthy relationship with God, where you are primarily seeking something from somewhere else, all that you're going to do in the whole marriage prep and enrichment is gather ammunition to shoot at your spouse. He told you not to do that that way. Many times when we sit in that relationship sermon, we just thinking to ourselves, man if they were here. Huh? Man if they were here. They should hear this. Instead of focusing on what God wants us to do and us to be. Because that's what we need to focus on. And the dangerous place to be, because when that happens and when our relationship with God breaks down, we're going to expect things from God and from others that we're not supposed to primarily expect from them. It's good to have a godly longing, to have a relationship where both people are what they should be in Christ. Amen? It's good to long for that. It's good to desire that. It's a godly desire to have. But when it becomes a practical way of living in a relationship, then it's destructive. Whenever you catch yourself saying the following thing, I will win," they... dangerous place why because now I'm not doing my relationship out of reverence for Christ I'm doing a contract relationship if they then I will and the problem is not with your spouse then your problem is with your relationship with God and you see that's why I asked us both those questions in the beginning how's your relationship with your relationship partner and how's your relationship with God And at least from your side, those two answers have to align. Are you with me? Makes it a little bit difficult because there's two partners in this relationship. But at least your side of the relationship has to align with the answer that you gave about your relationship with God. You see, I cannot say that I have a wonderful relationship with God. Man, and I'm following him in a halted obedience, but I'm struggling to lay my life down for my wife. That doesn't make sense. Why? Because God's calling me to lay down my life for my wife. And when I don't do that, I'm walking in disobedience towards God. And the fault is not necessarily my wife, but my relationship with God. And obviously it's a little bit more complex than that, and a little bit more dynamic than that in relationship, you know, in real life. But nonetheless, that is what it comes down to. So as you're sitting here tonight, and you're reflecting on the condition of your heart, and whether your relationships is in the right relation to god what is god revealing to us tonight and if the answer is lord i see that my heart is by the grace of god in the right place and i'm still willing lord to lay down my life constantly without expecting something bad you know we, we many times do that in apologies as well a for a yammer And then you go and you prep this whole thing and you're going to take the the you're going to be the lesser person and you're going to say sorry now until they don't say sorry back then the game's over not sorry because god says go and apologize but i'm going to say sorry because i expect them to say sorry back and we do that and if that's not your heart and if you see that your heart is in the right place and you do say sorry regularly without expecting something back and you are busy serving without expecting something back out of reverence for christ and your relationship with god is defined by a willingness to obey him whenever he says so if that is you at this moment say lord thank you for your grace because it's only god that does a work like that and sustains a work like that and continue to praise him but if you realize that that is not the case And if you're sitting here as a single and you have to define that, Lord, I need to be honest with myself now, and I'm actually seeking a relationship more than I'm seeking you at the moment. I'm actually seeking you for what you can give and not for who you are. Then just acknowledge that before God. And if you're sitting here and saying, Lord, I actually desire you to save my marriage before. I just want to sit with you and be with you. Acknowledge that before God. Like we said last week, a true heart. We don't have to bring a pure heart to God, but a true heart. He delights in truth in the inward being. And the beautiful thing is that when we bring that heart before God, imagine this, approaching a holy, righteous God that gave his life for us, and we're telling him, Lord, if I'm honest with myself now, I desire something more than you. And then we'd expect to say that, you know, God responding, I'm sorry that I laid down my life for you. I I wish I didn't send my son. But that's not what God says. Even in light of that, he says, it's okay, my son. It's okay, my daughter. I give grace. As we repent, he comes and he changes our hearts. Isn't that beautiful? As we repent, God changes our hearts. As we bring it to him in honesty. Lord, this is my heart. You see, that changes the way we should look at repentance. Many times it sounds like this heavy thing. Sometimes I feel like it's the only thing I say. Repent, repent, repent. Like Martin Luther also used to say, the whole of the Christian life is repentance. And repentance is a beautiful thing. It's anonymous for me with grace. You can't divide it two. Why? Because every time we repent, we receive what we don't deserve. That is grace and forgiveness. And what we actually did deserve gets placed on Jesus. Repentance is not a bigger thing at all. If we understand it as we should, it's a very gracious thing. And even in the repentance, God comes and he does the work in our hearts and he changes our hearts. There's a lot of things that we can change, but our hearts we can't. And I want to end off with a story and then we can pray. Because we many times do this with God. It's a story about a, a farmer, poor farmer that lived in a kingdom and one day he wanted to express his thankfulness to the king. The king is really someone that loves them, that cares for them. And in righteousness, he rules over this kingdom. And the poor farmer goes to this king with some of the best carrots that he'd ever grown. And he takes it to the king and he places it down in front of him and says, King, I just want to say thank you. I know it's not much, but it's the best I have. I want to say thank you for your love. Thank you for ruling over us so well. Thank you for your love and your justice just want to give this to you out of thankfulness and as the poor farmer got up and he's busy walking away the king stops him and says to the soldier standing next to him hey take this carrots and go and wait and I want you to give him the same weight in gold silver and jewelries because the carrots that he gave and the soldier goes and he gets it and he gives it to the poor farmer and that day the poor farmer becomes rich and one of the soldiers standing there is observing this and he thinks to himself "Oh." have an idea and he waits a couple of days not to make it you know too obvious and the next week the soldier comes bringing his horse and he says king i just want to say thank you thank you for ruling over us so well thank you for your righteousness and your love and the way that you shepherd your people this is my best horse that I've ever groomed. And I just want to give it to you to say thanks. And the man stands there, and a bit confused and awkward, not knowing what to do, but he's not walking away. And the king looks at him and he says, you expect me to do the same that I did for the poor farmer, don't you? And the soldier says, yes, that would be nice. And the king says to me, you know, the difference is the farmer gave the carriage to me, but you gave the horse to yourself. And many times we do that with God. And we know and we have this longing for a right relationship or stuff to be right. And we know that God can do that. We've seen Him do it. We've seen Him do it in the lives of others. And we see godly marriages and we see godly relationships. And man, it's beautiful. And we want it as well. And God is saying, instead of bringing me the horse and telling me, it's because you love me, just acknowledge your heart before me. That's okay. I know it seems strange, man, to go to God and to say, Lord, I desire other things more than you. If if I actually had the choice about a relationship with you, about my marriage being fixed, I'll choose my marriage being fixed. But do that. Be honest with God. Even in that, He's not going to show you a way. But by love and grace, He'll draw you in. And as we bring our hearts before God, that's not right, that's idolatrous, that's selfish. He'll forgive us because of the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and he will renew our hearts. Amen. Let's stand tonight and pray together.